Hi, welcome to In the Pacha, where I, Sam Reinstein, discuss the weekly Torah portion. Each week, I bring on a different educator who bring out in their own insight. I'm the rabbi at Congregation Kol Israel in Brooklyn, and I've come to notice there is a lack of Torah that is both high-level and accessible. This podcast is an effort to begin to fill that gap. Why is this week at In the Pacha different than all other weeks? When you have somebody named Manishtana, of course. Hi, how you doing? I'm doing all right. What's going on? Um, so for people that don't know what Manishtana is, um, do you mind introducing yourself and what, and what, what I'm talking about here? Um, I'm Manishtana. I am a, a writer and speaker uh, generally on racial and religious identity and how those two identities sort of intersect, particularly in America. Cool. Um, any, um, I'll just ask a, a specific, any, any, any specific concept that seems to come up a lot or, uh, anything, any, any moment that happened even recently, let's say, um, that you'd want to share? Oh, that's, that's just a, a day in my life, I suppose. Got it. Okay. <laughs> oh, just, just like, just like living sometimes can bring. Inherently, why? Right. <laughs> right. I guess that's something something you don't realize quite as much when you you're not living that experience. So it's it's hard to know. It's it's a, a weird question sometimes. I, I get okay. what's it like being you know someone black and Jewish or Jewish and black. Where it's like that's just like my day. I, I wake up and I'm there. It's like right. like asking somebody, well, how is it like living with skin? It's like I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Got it. Okay. I won't ask that question again. <laughs> um, um, so um, the format of, uh, so you should check out Manishana. I assume the people just Google Manishana and they'll find that. They'll yeah. find me. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram and www.manishana.net. I'm all there. Nice. .net. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, so we're going to continue with the format we normally continue with. Um, so I'm going to try and do a summary of the Parsha within 30 seconds. I will probably fail as usual. Um, and then, and then we'll each share a bit of Torah. All right. Okay. So at the beginning of this week's Parsha, Parsha Chukat, I didn't say that. Um, we learn about a chok, um, usually understood as an unexplainable rule of the ashes of the red cow that undoes impurity. Then Miriam and Aaron both pass away. Um, the Jews complain about water. Moshe encounters a rock where something goes wrong, uh, but still water comes out after he hits it. But Moshe is banned from entering Eretz Israel, the land of Israel. Amalek attacks, but the Jews win. They complain about food regardless, and serpents attack them. Moshe fashions a copper serpent, which leads the Jews to repent, and the attack ends. They ask the giant Sikon and Og if they can pass through their lands who don't allow them to, but the Jews win their lands in a war. Okay. Wow. You did it. You did it. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Um, this was kind of easier because it's a bunch of little things. So we're only going to be able to touch two of them. Um, but, uh, you know, there's, you know, the, 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 the red cow, the Miriam and our own, um, you know, the hitting the rock, uh, Amalek. There's all these different things. So it goes pretty quick. Um, Korach was harder uh, because it's like one story. So you, there's so many details. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyways, um, so I'd love to hear what, what you're thinking about uh, when you were reading Parsha Hukat. Well, 
there's this one thing that, you know, I, I sort of have wondered. Because this is, you know, the parsha where, you know, Moshe Naharon, like, gets sentenced to sort of die in the desert. Right. They had, like, you know, Shlach a couple of weeks ago. And so the rest of the generation has already been, you know, condemned to death. And, like, we find out later that, you know, you know Moshe and Aaron are meant to be the leaders of this generation. And so they sort of have to die in the desert so that, you know, at the end of the day, the resurrection, the rest of the generation is resurrected with them and get taken into the land. So, like, Moshe and Aaron sort of have to be there. Like, the major oh, this this kind of is this sort of parable of, you know, there's some, like, pennies that someone drops in the dark and he can't find them. So it's throws down some gold coins and tells somebody, oh, I lost some gold. So everyone rushes over with light. Because if mm-hmm. you might drop some pennies, no one like, would care. Right. So now sort of the gold coins in this scenario, and the rest of the people are like sort of the pennies. Um, and, you know, all the men of the generation die out, so Moshe Naharon has to be there to, like, lead the men out. But the women, you know, they didn't partake in, like, the spies, like they haven't in any other, like, uprising. And so it led me to sort of ask why does Miriam die? Hmm. Right. Like, he's sort of the catalyst for the, like the inciting incident for why Moshe and Aharon have to die in the desert. But Miriam was leading the women and the women didn't die. So there's no reason for her to stay in the desert, to, like leave right. the women out. And there's no real sort of inciting, like sin or incident that, you know, causes Miriam like to have to die. Right. And the only thing she kind of does wrong in Parsha Baluska when she when she says something bad about Moshe, she gets punished for it, and that's and that seems to be clearly over, right? Exactly. There's nothing else that she does wrong. And it's like it's sort of weird, like even where like the pasuk that she dies in, it's just you know, you know, like they they enter the wilderness of Zin. And then Miriam dies, was buried there. It's like, like really sort of like blase. Right. It's just like all of a sudden. Yeah. And it's like sort of like just, it's very amorphous and really weird and ambiguous. Um, but then it sort of leads to like a different question. Like why? Like everyone's been... Uh, destined to like die in the desert now because of the sin of the spies. But then the question that um, Oznayim Latora has actually is why were like the spies in Korah, why were those rebellions able to like get so much traction where nothing else did before really? Right. Like, no other rebellion was as widespread. Like the complainers were in it one spot and the mana people were in one, one spot and the meat and the water. They were at least sort of self-contained bubbles, but these sort of swept through the entire camp. And his answer is actually from Baha'u'llah, because in every other sort of uprising, Moshe had sort of this buffer zone of the women of Bnei Israel. So they didn't join in the Cheta Egel, they didn't question his leadership when, they, when the men were complaining about like the mana and no meat and things like that. But with Miriam sort of revealing that Moshe had separated from his wife and he didn't have like a normal marital life, that's when the women sort of step back saying, no, we don't want our husbands to sort of mimic that. And so he loses this sort of first line of defense that was always there, which was the women. So the next uprising that comes, Korach, 
sweeps through. Uh, no, next one that comes up is uh, actually. Yeah, the Miraglia would just sweep straight through because there's no more like line of defense. And then Korach after that, that also just goes straight through. And that's sort of Miriam's fault because she removes that barrier of protection. And so it seems kind of unfair for Miriam to be able to go into the land when she's sort of the catalyst why everyone else can't. And I feel like it's sort of hinted at in the pasuk that she dies because she dies once they hit Midbart Sin. And Midbart Sin pretty much only ever shows up in Tanakh as the place where the Moraglim left. And so it seems like that sort of parallel hinting where it's not her fault that, you know, the Moraglim happened, but she kind of, you know, incited it. And so it's sort of hinted at, well, they came to Midbart Sin and Miriam died. And that's all it says, but there's like more to like look into there. So to me, that feels like why Miriam dies at this point in the place that she does for seemingly no reason. Hmm. I mean, I, I think that's a really fascinating idea just because, just because the other than Miriam, right, the women in these stories are very like hidden, essentially. They're not, they're not in these stories, mm-hmm. um, but seeing them as, as, as a unit being almost like the way you're presenting it, like more integral um, to the, how, like how the community stays together. Um, I mean, it's like a more classic gender role thing, but like um, them keeping the households like stable and not rebelling and like kind of keeping them um, on the straight and narrow, I mean, feels very true to my own, um, like how how I grew up. Um, oh, definitely. But, yeah, uh, <laughs> it feels very true to most Jewish women I know. Um, <laughs> like having a Jewish <laughs> Yeah, exactly right. Um, but you know, like I think that's really fascinating to kind of see that um, in the text itself um, because it's uh, somewhat of a lived experience uh, that I see I see nowadays, um, and interesting that once Miriam kind of puts a crack in that. Uh, then uh, the whole thing sort of falls apart. The whole thing kind of crumbles. Hmm. That's really interesting. Any um, any other any other proof you any or any other times you see this type of thing um, either with Miriam or or any other times in Tanakh? I, I just I can't think of anything else like this. I um, the only other thing. Maybe that's like that is on Ben Pellet's wife and Korah, where right. oh, the reason why yeah. you know he doesn't get sucked in with the rest of Korah and everyone else, and that could be part of part of that midrash might be even like hinting is like part of this general idea, right? It's it's like it's like there is an example where where the where his wife like stops him from rebelling, and. He's the only one that where that's happening, right? No, it's not happening with anyone else. Exactly. Huh. That's really cool. Interesting. I, I mean, think, I'm, think, yeah, I'm I, thinking, yeah, go ahead. No, I, I just found it really fascinating when I read that from, again, was it Osnaim Latora, that even counts right. above the women actively being, you know, a part of the sort of defense structure of making this people like work as opposed to, 
the sort of passive way it's always presented. Oh, the women just didn't get involved in this because right. they were also actively like rejecting and protecting at the same time. Right. It's, it's, they were doing even more than rejecting, right? They weren't even rejecting it for themselves. They were rejecting it for, the, for their entire households. Exactly. A, a little stronger even than, uh, um, yeah, really fascinating. I, I, this reminds me a little bit about, um, about like, um, the female, um, like, ethos that goes into, like, the exodus from Egypt. Mm-hmm. Um, where it's, it's somewhat of like a similar type of concept um, where, um, I mean, there's this general idea, right? Um, I'm like blinking on the sources for this. Uh, maybe you can help me. But the, there's this general idea that it was, it was the women that tried to keep the, um, the men like able to keep on working and keep their hopes up and keep them um, yeah. be able to like continue on in like a, the super dark place in Egypt when they're slaves. And they would dress and, up and, and like, that's why the Kiar is made up of like their copper mirrors, the, because they're right. mirrors, like beautify themselves, like keep right. the spirit of everybody. Right, there you go. Right, right. That's the Rashi that uh, he's quoting a Midrash. Exactly. Right. That, that, you know, that they were in its essence, like without their input, they kind of keep the family unit together. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting. Cool. I know it was amazing when I read it. I like my theory though, because I, I, I've just I've never seen it ever addressed why Miriam dies. It's just right. like except for this fact, and just people move on from that. Like, but why? It just doesn't seem to have any like rhyme or reason to the reasons why people are dying. Right. Right. Other than the like more obvious, like maybe she's just old, right? <laughs> But like, but like, I think we generally are assuming in this. Her mother's still alive too, right? I think well, right, right. I think we're generally assuming these yeah. these things aren't accidental. One of his arguments when he's trying to get out of dying in the desert is like, what about my mother? She's going to like lose all three of her children. So Yochavet's still alive, and right. she. So like, not even old age could really be a factor at that point. Moshe argues that it, that's one of his arguments in the in the midrash. One of his arguments in the Midrash. Oh, it was fascinating. Right. Pull the Jewish mother guilt card. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's like, it's like, right, losing two kids already. Um, and if Yocheved is, right, it's a good point, right? If Yocheved isn't, if Moshe's, if Miriam's mother isn't ready to die, then why would she be? Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Um, what, what, uh, what, what, like, major idea you think you take out of this concept? Um, really, a, I feel like it's a responsibility. Um, and, and, I mean, you, you can only really have control over your actions, not their outcomes, but to maybe try to anticipate, you know, your outcomes and be intentional in the things that you say or do, even however well-meaning, like, yeah. when, even in Baha'u'llah itself, when Miriam was saying that she wasn't trying to harm Moshe, and she definitely wasn't foreseeing like an entire nation spending the next 38 years burying themselves every year. But um, I'm sure she's of like a different level, and so that's a different outcome. But even like in our own lives, I think, to 
be more mindful of what we possibly, what and who we possibly have influence over and the environment that we're there for. We're there for a reason to influence. That's why we're anywhere that we ever are. And so to use that wisely. Hmm. Right. I mean, I would, I would stop like to the, like I wouldn't blame Miriam like I wouldn't. I don't think it's fair to go as far right. to like blame Miriam for Korach because obviously it's Korach's fault, right? It's it's those two hundred fifty people. It's it's the Miraglim's fault for what they're doing, um, but but uh, you know having that influence, right? I, I think there are so many studies um, on the idea of how much like your your good or bad attitude affects the people around you, um, right. and especially if you're one of these leaders of the people, right? That can have a huge influence, but even even smaller. Even like around your office, right. you have influence. Your group of friends in your neighborhood, your, your shul. Right. Yeah. Fascinating. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to move on to, to, to something related somewhat, but a, a little different. Um, right. What I wanted to, to focus on is essentially what happens right after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happens right after that, right? The Jews complain about water. I think generally that's where this assumption that Miriam, like it was in Miriam's merit that the water kept on going. Um, but Moshe then encounters a rock and something goes wrong. And at the end of this story, Moshe encounters a rock. He gets mad at the people. He hits the rock, water comes out. And at the end, as you already said, um, God says to Moshe and Aaron, Yan lo hamantem bi, this is in um, chapter 20, verse 12, um, mm-hmm. you didn't believe me um, to um, make me holy in the eyes of Israel. So therefore, I'm not going to bring you and them into this land that I promised them. And what Moshe did wrong is not clear. It's so not clear um, that I personally was able to find 11 answers as to what in the world he did wrong here. Uh Um, So the most famous one is Rashi, who argues that instead of speaking to the rock, he he hit the rock. Seems very weird because there's a, a previous story where he was asked to hit the rock and he hits the rock. But fine, he was told to speak to the rock and he hits it. Um. Ibn Ezra says that Moshe lost his concentration and closeness to God, and he couldn't, he tried to speak to the rock, and it was because he lost his concentration and focused on Bnei Israel's complaining, um, therefore, um, therefore, he was punished. Um, Rabbeinu Hananel says that um, he said, Moshe said, we should bring water from the rock, and not Hashem should bring water from the rock. He was kind of taking personal. Um, you know, personal responsibility for that miracle, where clearly God's doing that miracle. Um, he gets mad at them. Uh, I think that's Ramban. Um, I, he hits the rock twice. Um, that's the Abarbana, or that's the Gemara Yoma. The Gemara Yoma has a bunch of them. Gemara Yoma 87a. Um, he gets mad at them. Um, they didn't celebrate the flow of water with song, um, that he struck the rock twice instead of just once. Um, it's crazy how many things you can find that are wrong here. And I don't know. Um, it seems odd to me 
to like, we have this like amazing leader, amazing leaders, right? It's Moshe and our own here. And mm-hmm. we're like nitpicking like crazy. Um, and even if God is nitpicking like crazy, like, I don't know, like this seems unfair to me as like a, just like somebody that's just like learning this and learning mm-hmm. this topic. It seems unfair, right? Like Moshe didn't do 11 things wrong in this one moment. Like, People mess up and that's okay. And like, and sure, he seems to have messed up here enough that God gets mad at him for it. But like, give give the guy a break, you know? Lost his sister. <laughs> yeah, he just he just lost his sister, you know? Like, it's just like crazy. It's just like seems unfair, seems um seems over like piling on. Um, when th- people do things that are wrong, it seems very much piling on. Um, and and Moshe is a good enough person to like not warrant that. I feel, you know. Hmm. Um, so I, I was I, I don't know I was thinking about this, um, and I think we I see this a lot. I, I see this a lot, unfortunately. I, I, when somebody when something happens. Um, people are like very quick to blame. People are very quick to blame in like different ways. You know, like everyone has like a different take. I mean, that's like a really common thing now with like talking heads, right? Everyone has to have their own take as to what this person did wrong or, or what's going on here. And, and I think some, on some level that, that can be positive, right? People are having their own thoughts, but sometimes that has some, some negative connotation because if everyone has their own take right it seems like Moshe is like an awful guy here um, when he clearly did something wrong I'm not debating that because uh, God says so um, but but like did he really do was he really the worst guy <laughs> um, I don't know it's something I've been thinking about recently uh, because there's been so much uh, you know like especially on social media it's so easy to come and like pile on people um, and I think we should be mindful of that. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Um, any, any thoughts uh, on that, or on on these different ideas of what he did wrong, or maybe even what he, you know, like what's going on here? I I feel a lot of things around and uh, for me, it's sort of interesting seeing how Moshe sort of interacts in his own family and his different reactions to things. Mm-hmm. Um, because, like I said before, he just lost his sister. So he's right. in this, you know, presumably distraught state, um, which is like a complete 180 from earlier, like back in Afremot, like right after Adab and Abhi die. Right. Uh, in Akhremot, in, instead of the in general, you know, speak to Aharon and tell him, uh, the, I don't have it in front of me right now, but speak to Aharon, your brother, right. tell him, where it's sort of like Hashem saying, I forget the commentary I read, it's like, your brother, who just lost his two kids, and then speak to Aharon, the high priest, and talk to him about this mitzvah. So it's huh. like, well, well, there he has sort of this, you know, dark, black, white, sort of strictly business approach to, okay, yes, they died, but we have this Mishkan thing here that you know, we need to do this. 
and I shouldn't sort of saying there. Well, hold on, hold on, yeah, do that. But also speak to your brother. He gets lost. Mm-hmm. And so here it's like the you know complete 180 of that, where he's not you know like locking into what you know he's supposed to be doing with like what Hashem told him to do because he's like emotionally involved in this sort of episode. So, right. Interesting. Yeah. Question. I mean, this, at this point, it's you know 38 years old, so maybe he's like grown, matured in that sort of way, or just has been differently affected by life at this point, but it's interesting. I right, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think I, I'd, like, I'd like to like add that to what I was saying. Like, Part of the reason why I think it's so harmful sometimes to like pile on is because you don't know what other people are going through. right? Like Moshe's going through maybe one of the harder moments in his life uh, right now. And like, and like, I mean, I understand why he's not given a break because he is in front of the entire people, right? But like, that's not true in every circumstance in our own lives, you know, like, understand people might be going through something difficult and you don't know, you know, you just don't know what somebody else is going through. Mm-hmm. Very true. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, any, any last thoughts on the Parsha or, uh, I, I think I'm, I think I'm tapped out. <laughs> okay, awesome. Um, so thank you so much, um, for coming on, uh, for those listening, uh, subscribe, give a good rating, uh, pay attention for next, for the next episodes of in the pot shop.